Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. Morning, everybody. It's so good to be back on the Fika. It's been a, a break for us, about a two-month break, because we were all very busy in June and early July. I was traveling quite a bit. I saw Tina at the Lifelong Learning Conference in Denver this past week, so that was terrific. We're happy to be back on, and we're going to talk about getting off to a strong start. Since this episode will air in the beginning of August, we hope that people listen to the episode and want to get their courses off to a great start for the new semester in the fall. But before we do that, we always start our episodes by talking a little bit about what we're having for a snack or not this morning. I just got back, so I'm really tired from travel. So I need extra coffee this morning, and I may actually sneak out and get another cup while we're recording this. <laughs> but Jeff, you got anything this morning? No, as soon as this is over, I'm eating lunch, so I've got a glass of water. <laughs> Not even sparkling water, just regular water. Well, we're degrading here. Yeah. Yes. How about you, Tina? I am feeling a little FOMO for some colleagues that are meeting in Italy this week, and so I have a sparkling limoncello water. It sort of tastes a little lemon and creamy from LaCroix, and some delicious just mango slices from... KJ and mine's favorite, Trader Joe's. (laughs) Yeah, I miss Trader Joe's terribly. We had it in Florida, and when we were in Idaho, we just went to one and and bought a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) We don't have it here in Mississippi yet. But Trader Joe's, if you ever listen to this podcast, we'd welcome one here in the Jackson area for sure. (laughs) I love the way you're seeking sponsors. I like that. (laughs) Kristen. And I have a bottle of water and also some dark chocolate, plain dark chocolate. Can always count on you to have some dark chocolate close by. Yeah, so the semester will be starting soon. I just started my prep for the semester. And I think that's really a big part of getting off to a good start is preparation in, in advance of your class. So I don't know what your procedures, your habits are for trying to prepare for the upcoming semester, using the summer months in a productive way to kind of really look at things. One thing that I do, obviously you want to go back to your syllabus and take a a look at at it, but I always try to envision something new that I want to try for a new year. And it may be something I learned at a conference, like this year I learned some things at the Lifelong Learning Conference that I want to try out. And so that becomes part of my syllabus, like when am I going to do this, how am I going to incorporate it into one of my classes and do a little experiment with it to replace perhaps something that hasn't worked so well. You know, we always have some of those things in our classes. My wife calls it 
TSN. Try something new. So TSN, you know, what's what's your TSN for this upcoming year? Do you all have one? Well, maybe first off at University of Colorado, we had a campus-wide inclusive syllabus project. So this is pharmacy, medicine, nursing, dentistry, physical therapy, PA, and public health. And it's been ongoing slightly longer than I've been at Colorado. And in one way, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like in some cases, the standard syllabus for the campus had become very contractual. And bloated. And bloated. I mean, clearly there's a table that says when your lectures are and who's doing the talks, the very last page. But in between, there's a lot of whereases and thou shalt, and thou, especially thou shalt not. And so my, my initial attempt was like, could we get some of that that's standard, not specific to any one course and like put it and link out. But there were student representatives on this inclusive syllabus group and they actually really pushed to, in, to include things like a land acknowledgement, a labor acknowledgement, pronouns, name coach, things like that. They said, if they're not important, if you put them as links, we're never going to click on them. And I was really surprised by that. So we are actually, this for, for fall, implementing a new standardized syllabus. It hasn't gone all the way through all the approvals, but we decided we would go ahead and include those elements. And we still use what I would call a word version of a syllabus that's linked to the learning management system. So we don't use like simple syllabus or any program that creates the syllabus. Yeah. We, we basically have a PDF of a Word document that they, they access. So even though it's a little longer, it does include some features that student feedback was important to them. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Syllabus bloat. And I think that's one of the reasons why students actually don't look at a syllabus. It seems very long. And it has a whole bunch of, to them, irrelevant information that's not relevant to the specific course or what I need to do to be successful and those sorts of things. And so it's often ignored. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what you do to try to encourage students to read it. Are there techniques or strategies? I have gotten rid of all of the policies and procedures, and I just have a single link to a single page to say, here are the university policies related to courses. And they can use that and go look at them. But I that got rid of a, all, more than half of the syllabus because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so lengthy. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had discussions with Academia Happy students, residents on, I don't even know how we ended up on this topic of syllabi and sort of the same thing, Stuart. They said, all I really want to know is where my grades form and when's the class and when I have to be there and the rest of the stuff. It's there's they have so much stuff to do and read and you get one of these 25 page syllabi for five courses, which 20 pages of it are exactly the same. And I do remember even in even as late as graduate school for me, which I finished in 2007 in my syllabi were two pages, three pages. Right. Here's the course, the description. Here's the instructor. Here are the days, the classes, the grades. But like everyone else, there are loads and loads and loads of policies. And we do have a feature that we can link out to some. Mm -hmm. But even so, every semester, it seems like, okay, now we need to add something else to address this. And we need to put this in there more and more. Like, mm -hmm. if this happens, we do this. 
which I don't want to get started on complaining about syllabi because I can complain about syllabi all the, <laughs> all the day long. I would, I would much prefer talking about the good things about first days of class and getting things going. Yeah, yeah. But I think a, a syllabus can be a positive thing. And Kristen, I don't know what you've tried to do to make the syllabus a more inviting, interesting, informative document. Yeah, I, I was really inspired a few years ago by some dialogue on some websites for teachers that was talking about just the tone of the syllabus. You know, what what is the way that you are writing the sentences? And are you writing it as if it is a contract? I promise to give you this, but I expect this in return. And, and like Tina said, a lot of the thou shalt and thou shalt not, is that is that the tone of it? Because if the students do read it, that kind of sets up the course, right? Like, I'm in charge. You're going to need to do what I say, that kind of mentality. And some of this dialogue was about, like, how do you turn the tone around so that it becomes more inviting, so it becomes more collaborative, so it becomes more motivational? And I think that's really difficult because there's so much that we feel like we need to jam in there because otherwise we might not be comprehensive and we might not be clear and people might not know. Um, I really love the ideas of pulling things off and putting them in a central, we call it a central syllabus that has like all the policies, but keeping the the kind of like what I want you to get out of this course, but in a really kind of collegial, approachable way, not just the, these are the objectives that I will test you on, but like yeah. in a kind of more conversational, like what are the themes of the course? Why are those themes important? And talking about those things up front. I've also tried to really think about the syllabus visually. Mm. You know, everything is so much more visual now. And I I don't have the tolerance, I'm sure students don't, to just like have a wall of text and pages and pages of a wall of text. And then we, th we think we make it better by, you know, bullet points, more bullet points. <laughs> and then you have like a wall of bullet points. So what can we do to even just visually intersperse some things that help draw attention to different parts? Yeah, I've, I've started to use icons and, and graphics different parts just to make it visually more interesting and appealing because most syllabus are, are very boring. I mean, they really are. So that's something I've incorporated. One thing I added a few years ago is not my full teaching philosophy statement, but a brief summary of it. Like, here's my general philosophy of teaching and learning and a little description of me and my approach to the educational process. I don't know if students really read it, but I try to make it friendly and what I consider is important and how people learn best. And I've added it to all of my syllabi. It's like, this is a little bit about me as, as a teacher. I don't know if any of you have added some personal elements to your syllabus that are you know, not required. I'm sure they're not required by your schools, but are there some personal elements you try to put there that make students a little more aware of who you are, maybe your background, yeah. your teaching philosophy, those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I have the syllabus actually linked to a place on the course website that is a video, just a like three-minute video of me talking about why I'm so passionate about the topic, what my approach is to teaching it, why it's been useful to me to learn in, in these ways and to learn this content. And it was fun to record. It was hard yeah. to keep into just a couple of minutes because we're all so passionate about what it is that we do. But uh, it, it was it was fun to just have you know me and my voice explaining what it is 
that is behind this course. And then, you, yeah, you can go and read about all the sessions and all the hours and all the points. Um, but hopefully the, the video gives that kind of text. Yeah, that's such a great idea. I love the idea of a video as kind of a setup to the course and a little introduction to you and why the topic is important and how you're going to approach it. I think it's a terrific idea. That's going to be another one of my try something new this year. Thank you, Kristen. Awesome. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things about the Monash program is there was a, a welcome, a, what we called it like a trailer, like a movie trailer, introducing the course director and the course. And the first year that we did it for every course, we were rolling out a new curriculum. These were I wouldn't say highly produced. They they didn't look like Indiana Jones, but they were, you know, you went in the studio and recorded it. Wow. And then as we updated them, we just, by then, we we all knew how to record a video. On and we found that we really didn't lose any of that fidelity. And in fact, it seemed kind of real life. And the students always, when we, we could look at the clicks behind and... There was no test on the trailer. It wasn't like we said, we're going to have a quiz on the phone and you need to say where I'm from. Or, but the click on the trailer, almost everybody did before the class, which I thought was a pretty cool intro. And we, we kept them short. I have a very similar to that. I don't have anything from the syllabus itself because we have sort of guidelines. Our syllabi have to look like X and Y. Yeah. So there's little room for a personalization, but I do have a, a video. It's probably three to four minutes. Sounds very much like Kristen, and it's a little bit about my philosophy for the course and how I teach it. What And that also is before the class starts. It's kind of like a day one, and it does, like Dan said, students do watch that, <laughs> or at least they click on it. I don't know if they watch it, but they click on it. Yeah, I think that's such a great way to make it a little bit more digestible and introduce some of the key things in the course. And it might prompt people to then look at the syllabus, particularly if you, in that introduction, talk about some key things to pay attention to in the syllabus and might actually look at it. I don't know if anybody actually does uh, a quiz on the syllabus. Some people have tried this technique and award points for yeah. people for going through and taking a little short quiz about some key elements in the syllabus that they really want students to learn, either before the first day of class or in the first day of class, have a little brief quiz on the syllabus. Have any of you ever tried that or do that? I have not. I have in the past. I did it probably for two to three years. I abandoned it when I started changing my grading practices and yeah. moving away from points and incentives. I mean, it was fine. And, you know, the students had to get 100% basically to get credit for it. And it was just the main things. What happens if this, when does this do? It probably did cut down on the number of questions I had to answer throughout the semester about things. Well, and I, I did the same. I think in pr previous iterations of courses, I did have a little quiz, especially when I was doing skills lab, because it was a lot of moving parts and I just made it part of the participation. I've also done some hiding those Easter eggs in a couple places. And we can link in the show notes that story about the guy who had a cash prize hidden in a place on campus and nobody got, nobody <laughs> ever found it. I, I, like Jeff, I think I try to change it up a little bit each time. I did want to, and we can link in the show notes too, I wanted to say one thing that was very helpful to me this year was our library offered a, a little workshop called Diversify Your Syllabus. Mm -hmm. And they helped you go through your readings and make sure that they weren't 
perhaps omitting diverse authors, et cetera. And I found that very, very helpful. It was something that I hadn't really thought about until I went to the workshop. And it was also something that I felt like I would totally love to do this, but it's going to be really hard. And because they helped me, it was less difficult and more meaningful. And so we'll see, this will be the first year that I've actually done that. So we'll see how they respond. Yeah. I think that's, well, it's critically important for all courses, particularly the humanities. We tend to have a list of readings and everything that favor yeah. European right. <laughs> thinkers, right? And, yeah. and not taking a broad look at, at the world of thinkers out there. But even in the science disciplines, thinking about how we diversify the kinds of studies that we review, the kind of issues. What I'm sitting here thinking about, though, is just this idea of the start. And a few of us were talking before we we turned the recording on and just like summer has been a lot. There's a lot going on. We're launching a new curriculum. We're in the middle of accreditation process. So the idea of starting right now, like I try and envision myself climbing into the starting blocks, right? And I think I would fall on my nose. Like I, I don't think I could even hold myself up right now. So how do we manage that as teachers? We're going around the year, students think have a break, but really they're just shifting their energy to other things. Mm -hmm. So all of us are are trying to like gear up now. And what are the best ways to do that? I, I always go back to the Simon Sinek, start with the why. And I, every year level has different challenges when starting up. You know, you start with those first year, bright, shiny what they think they've come to learn, the experiences they're bringing into the classroom. And I have made mistakes and, and seen others just dive right into the content and also not at all connect what they're doing. I think our orientation sessions have become also, they're just so bloated and jam-packed. And personally, because I've changed jobs a few times, I always feel like when I do my job orientation, crammed in at the beginning. I don't even know what questions to ask. Whereas if they space it out a little bit and they like, okay, whatever the compliance thing I have to do, I do that. And then later I can pick my health plan. And a month later I can do this. I think to talk to them on the first day about the why, but then keep sort of repeating some of those key things. Another strategy we're trying here for the past year is we do sort of a what's new in P2 or what's new in P3 every semester at the start. It's not a full week of orientation, but we kind of show them the connection, the overall goals of the semester. And we bring in all the course directors to listen to because sometimes they're a little disconnected from that. And particularly, we're also in a curriculum change process when we know that the most powerful messenger for students is the students above them. And so when you change curricula, you destabilize that a little bit and you have to say like, they're going to try to help you by talking about this course, but you don't actually have that course this semester. <laughs> and so we've been trying to focus in getting ready the glue between the courses or the units or the modules and spend a little bit more time on that. I like what you're saying about the orientation process. Or introducing students to one of the things, particularly in the CE community, 
is when you have these conferences or you have a day-long symposium is not to spend the first hour going through all the logistics of this is the way you need to do the CE and this is how you where the bathrooms are and this is when the break is. That you actually, the recommendation is now, because people can't absorb it all, is to spread it out through the day that you're doing little snippets of orientation more just in time when they need to know that information as you go through the day or as you go through the conference. And I think that makes a lot of sense for our courses too. You can imagine a P1 student coming in and then they get this week-long orientation about everything. They're not going to remember it. They're just not going to remember it. Yeah. So how do we space that out a little bit and and do something fun that's exciting at the very beginning, but also serves the purpose of a little bit of orientation, but getting to know each other, getting to know you. That's what I try to do on the first day of class. Of course, we know that everything's pressed for time. And so there's this, this feeling that we need to get to the content right away, right on that first day, the Get right out of the gate, but I, it probably is a mistake to do too much content-oriented stuff. I'm not saying there should be no, because you want to start to give a taste of it, but I think the first day is should have a, a slightly different purpose to it, and I don't, I don't know how you use your first day of class. So that's one thing that I have gradually changed semester to semester and probably will do so more even next year. So I teach in the spring. 90% of my teaching is in the spring, like spring is loaded with teaching. So I'm not really gearing up for August. This is normally my thinking time, but getting away from the logistics of the course, just, I'm just sprinkling in, this is what they need to know for the, you know, the next month or two and trying to get more into the, well, I would say painting the big picture and just giving questions for people to think about. An example is, you know, how do some employees get hired? Some horrible employees, how did they get hired? You know, I would, I would phrase that a little differently and be thinking about that, which then sets up the big picture of an employee selection and the interview process and how we go about that and the importance of it. And just trying to present things for them to think about that put some context to the course material, nothing that we're going to test on, nothing that they have to take notes on, but actually just getting them curious and thinking. Yeah, we've tried to approach the first day as the bigger picture too. And it's been fun as instructors to try and think outside of the box a little bit and to think about the course not as a series of sessions, but really what are the themes in the course. And so we've started on the first day in one of my leadership courses picking the three themes that we're kind of organizing all the content around. And then trying to have an activity related to each theme and things that they have to talk to the neighbor about. They have to get up and write something on the board. They have to, to create some energy and some momentum and some noise in the room. And that's been, it's been fun for us to think up those activities and to have them produce them really quickly and then share them. But I think that just sets, again, the tone. It's the tone thing, just like the, the syllabus. Are we going to have fun in this class or am I going to sit here and tell you things? <laughs> I, I teach a personal and professional development course, P1 through P4 year. The P1 year is beginning to talk about professionalism and professional identity. Actually, it's a very first block of that, and then self-awareness and all that in the P1 year. 
And so my first session, and it works pretty well, is to do a concept map. So they all get little sticky notes and they're say, what is it to be a professional? What is the characteristics of a professional? Just whatever you think it is, write it down on paper. So they, they write five characteristics and then they go to a concept map board with a little team, of six of them. They mm-hmm. each go around the room and put their sticky notes up there and then they start to group them, see where they're like and where they're different and see what other people's thoughts are. And then we debrief about it and that gets them started at least thinking about what is it to be a professional. And that, and that, and that becomes their first assignment. They've got a month, they work on some things. But that first day, like you said, it gets them out of their chair little energy, they're generating the content and the concepts themselves. And it also gives me an impression, it's helpful to me to see where their head's at, right? Like, what are the things they're thinking about and where are the gaps? Like, where are they not thinking about this that I need to bring up in later sessions or when we debrief? So I have found that to be a fun but very helpful activity. So if people are not familiar with concept maps, I would suggest as a group project. Tina, do you have any favorites on your first day? Yeah, I just try to go back to, we always say patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I feel like the students are the same way. And so really starting with that, start with the why, the social accountability of what we're trying to do, how that links to patient care. I I try to actually get them to think about a family member, a friend, somebody in their life who's experiencing a gap in healthcare. And all of us, I've never been in a situation where people couldn't come up with somebody that probably wasn't getting the best care in the healthcare system. And instead of assigning blame, we try to look and say, is it, was it a lack of knowledge? Like, did the, was a misdiagnosis? Was it a, a lack of skill? was a lack of connectivity in the healthcare system. I teach in our professional courses, as you can tell. <laughs> and which skills will they learn in the class that will help address that, that gap? And so I have them write that first patient on a post-it note. And I say, there's going to be some low times in this course. You're going to be tired, hungry, anxious, competing priorities. But if you have that person's name and that situation on a sticky note stuck to your laptop, you can always go back and say like, no, why am I having to learn all these ethical theories? (laughs) Why am I having to learn collaboration techniques and really applying it to that person in their life? Another strategy that I've found helpful, and it it does cost a little bit, but not that much, which is give them all a postcard to send to somebody that has helped them, these are first-year students, help them to get to where they are on the first day and write that down as part of their course notes as well so they remember that gratitude of somebody helped them and they'll help someone else. Sometimes I've had them send a note to themselves, like an email using the save and send function for a month into the course, two months into the course, reminding them of certain feelings and their excitement and why they wanted to do it. So those are some of the strategies that I've used on the first day just to set the stage for interprofessional health equity, ethics, collaborations. Like we're all trying to get the students to encounter the content in some way, Yeah, right? Encounter the content in some kind of intriguing, energizing way. So one of the things, and I I don't know why I didn't think about mentioning this earlier. My Actually, my favorite thing on the first day of class 
that I've done for a few years now, I I use Mentimeter, which is the polling software. And the last, this is probably the last 15 minutes of the first class. It's getting to know each other. So I'll ask a series of questions of them. Some of them are like, what's, what types of work experience do you have? So I teach pharmacy management. So the managerial piece, I'll ask questions like that. But then I'll also ask some fun questions of like, which of these television shows have you watched? And I'll list my favorite ones and see what people have watched and haven't watched. So there's several of those. That some are fun, some are pointed. And then the very last question, I says, here's your one chance to ask me anything. So they're obviously, they're all anonymous. And I was just kind of trying to go through and look. And the questions, some of the questions are like, how many people fail this class in the semester? Or what's your favorite book from the capstone, you know, from the capstone thing. But then I get other stuff like Team Edward or Team Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> or who is one of your role models? What's your best training plan for running? Can you run a six minute? Like it just gets all kinds of, of stuff that at the end of that, students are laughing because there's funny questions and some questions I will not answer because they'll ask, I mean, they'll ask some, some really, really yes. personal questions, which are funny, but it loosens that class up and makes them comfortable for interacting with me the rest of the semester. So yeah. that's my, actually my favorite thing. It's probably one of the funnest moments of the semester for me. You've given me another, try something new. <laughs> I, I love that. And I'm just imagining what Jeff considers a very personal question. It'll be like, what's your second favorite drink besides water? <laughs> well, one of the questions that I felt that I did not answer this year is because I mentor our community service learning group. So that's a three-year thing. And I know it's one of them in the group that goes, who is your least favorite member of the... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is a little bit cheap. That's the one. It's like, okay, I'm not answering that one. The The other thing that I've done is I have some nieces and nephew that are college age. None of them are study pharmacy, but I routinely sort of ask them what's hip and pop culture. So like last year, we did some things like, I think what they told me was big. And so I used this was like, tell me you're a pharmacy student without telling me you're a pharmacy student. So we did some activities like that. This year, they tell me the big thing is these point of view videos, POV on TikTok. And it's like the point of view of, I don't know, a suppository (laughs) as it's being inserted or something like that. So I'll try to pick something from pop culture because I'm no longer at all contemporary with them. After Harry Potter, after they stopped reading Harry Potter, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts and watching things on like BBC and they are not. So I do try to use a technique that they think is somewhat cool. I don't think they think I'm cool, but they might think the activity is cool. Well, we've got a lot of new ideas here <laughs> to use to try to get our courses off to a great start this year. I think it begins, obviously, with planning ahead and thinking through the things that you want to try in a given year and how to make your first day as interesting as possible to get yourself off to a good start, creating some energy and buzz and activity, being clear about the why and how this fits into the curriculum and how this fits into your career path. Like, why is this stuff important to know? Presenting the problems that this course is intended to address right up front. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. Jeff's idea about, like, here's a problem that you're going to face. And Mm -hmm. how do you have the skills and the knowledge to prevent this problem from happening? And getting the students to envision how the course material will be helpful to them as they progress through their career. So these are all great strategies. 
We're going to post some things in the show notes for people, resources that you can use both the syllabus and the first day. And we do hope that people will want to try something new. TSN this year. TSN. Goodbye. We'll see you all back in a month. And we wish everyone best of luck as the new semester gets started. Have a great first day. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash pharmacy Bye for now. Namaste. Das Bidanya. Au revoir.